Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast. I'm Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery to Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers, legal dramas, tales of teen sleuths, and more. Once we're done yucking it up about whatever we've just seen, we'll serve up our five-star final takes on whether it's worth your time. If you're offended by silliness, profanity, political asides, canine-related interruptions, and losers laughing at their own bad jokes, beware. Also note that some of the stories we'll be talking about are pretty dark, and in some cases exceptionally badly written. So content warning for murder, violence, suicide, torture, rape, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and bigotry. If there's a movie or show you'd like for us to talk about, email us at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. Our show's take on genre is pretty loosey-goosey. So as long as your suggestion has some dash of mystery, we're interested in hearing about it. Spoiler alert! We're going to be discussing the entirety of this show or movie, spoilers and all. So if you want to be surprised, press pause, go watch the thing, then join us for the show. Now that you've heard our spiel, go ahead and polish off those magnifying glasses and slip into your favorite trench coat. Let's get mysterious. So, Anya, what did we watch? Well, Kevin, we watched The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, The Copper Beaches, an episode that aired on August 25th, 1985, starring Jeremy Brett as Sherlock Holmes. This is the classic BBC rendition of Sherlock Holmes that aired in the 80s. And you had not seen this. Your Sherlock Holmes is more like your Bass or Rathbones, your Robert Downey Jr.'s. And when I said things should be more traditional, you just laugh at me. 
So what was your what was your reaction to your first exposure to one Mr. Jeremy Brett? Oh, I really enjoyed this episode, Kevin. I, I really like a kind of an unadorned Sherlock Holmes that's classic. I never said I didn't want there to be a classic Sherlock Holmes. I, for the record, was just saying that sometimes if things get balls to the wall and it's Sherlock Holmes fighting the Nazis, that I'm not necessarily going to be complaining the whole time like some people. I'm an easygoing gal like that. <laughs> yeah, that's what you tell yourself. Yeah, that's what I am. <laughs> now, now, so this is, I, I never watched this before. You watched this as a child, right? Yes, as a youngster. A I little youngster, to... a little adolescent. Yes, when I, I was a little boy. <laughs> Still wearing my knee pants. <laughs> I'd waddle up to the TV screen. Actually, if this aired in 85, I would have been uh, 13. <laughs> would have been 37. <laughs> so you were just a young scrap of a lad. But I remember these used to be rerun, I believe, on the A&E network. And uh, I used to enjoy them. They're a bit sad eventually because they keep on making them. And at some point, Jeremy Brett's health fails. Oh, that sucks. And also, uh, they wanted to try to make all the stories. And a number of the stories, and even if you're a huge fan of the material, I think it's inarguable that a number of the stories are just awful. I can understand the impulse, though, to be a completionist and just be like, let's get all these down so we have them. Just from the, you know, the BBC's perspective, like we have the rights. Let's just do this, you know. But with, yeah, that some of them, I remember this one where it doesn't like someone, isn't someone taking like monkey gland extract to become like a, like a monkey guy? That was my diary. <laughs> that was your, that was your Clan of the Apes uh, fan fiction role play game that went too far. What would you say? What, what would you say is the worst one? That one. I don't know what that one. That I don't know. What I thought his last bow was pretty bad. Oh, I hate that one. I hate the one. It was like where it's like England. It's so great, England. I've never talked about England before, but England, I love it. It's like calm down, you crazy nationalist. Come on, I didn't like that one. Lion's mane. I don't know which one that is. It's really bad. There's one that uh, has a very, very, very offensive and racist uh, inclusion of a character. Spoiler, who turns out to be like a, like a little person and, and you know, from like Africa or something. And it, I remember just being like, oh, yikes, that that one has not aged well. They're not all winners. I mean, they're certainly not all winners for sure. And, uh, you know, a lot of the things that people like about the series sort of, I think, comes from reading from the accumulation, right, of, of reading all of them or reading a lot of them and kind of like, taking things that you like from different stories and putting it all together for an enjoyable experience. Um, it's certainly a flawed body of work, but it's one obviously that you and I have enjoyed a lot and it's kind of fun to see it adapted so faithfully. Yeah. These, these uh, Jeremy Brett adaptations by and large are very faithful. Yeah. He's great. The guy who's playing Watson's great. Everyone's great. You know, and Natasha Richardson in her first role, apparently. It said introducing Natasha Richardson. Yeah, that's cool. I, I mostly know her. Uh, being, for a tragic death? Well, her tragic death, which was very upsetting. But I, I what I was most familiar with her in uh, is going to date me, but <laughs> she's the mom in the remake of The Parent Trap that I watched a billion times growing up because I'm a millennial. Hashtag 90s kids. So, well, that uh, does date you as being in your mid-20s. Yeah. How awful. 
dating myself compared to you, sir. <laughs> I'm aging you. <laughs> now you look the fool. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I mostly know her from. But no, she she's, you know, that's kind of fun to kind of get a, a celebrity starting out. And then just, I, I remember we picked this one because for some reason reading i i really i really enjoyed the copper beaches that was one story that stuck in my mind as being one that i particularly remembered and enjoyed and i think the reason i ha the reason has become clear <laughs> why that was are you gonna do you know why do you know why i'm just curious did you notice why why well, maybe we can maybe we can talk about it and then parse it out and maybe you can guess at the end of the episode. Humiliate yourself by getting it wrong. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I my tastes are different from yours in some ways and I think I think it boil, I'll give you a hint it boils down to something along those lines. It's subtle, so if you don't get it, I won't be upset with you. So, okay. So this uh, this starts with Holmes and Watson having a nice, classy tea. You know me. I love tea. I love that. Classy as fuck. And it starts with uh, Holmes getting meta and uh, criticizing Watson for the way he writes the stories about their adventures. Yeah, basically saying, you write all this dumb fan fiction about us, but you make me sound stupid. This is all... All I do is about the logic and the brains and the thinking, and you're just giving everybody all this criminal bullshit and like all this like dumb shit with us running around and not, you know that's stupid. That's a stu No one wants to read that. People want to read, you know, tree treatises. What is, what's the word? I don't know. People want to read <laughs> pamphlets about like how you use logic, and Watson's just looking at him like, you know, you're an asshole basically. <laughs> So do you think this in some way reflects a conflict within Mr. Conan Doyle himself? Because he wasn't terribly fond of the Sherlock Holmes stories. It reflects, yeah, certainly. I'm almost certain that's him talking to himself. Because he also wrote really unreadable pieces of historical fiction that he, he believed would be the work that would uh, live for the ages. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's almost like a really self-aware reflection in a way because I think maybe, I don't know, but like... It like <laughs> Like, what Holmes is proposing is not going to be very good copy, and he didn't write very good copy other than Sherlock Holmes. I mean, I can't I can't judge him. What about much. the Professor Challenger books? Sweetheart, I, I, I've never read a single word that he's written in non-Sherlock Holmes stories, so I can't be judging too harshly, but you can. The historical stuff is unreadable. Professor Challenger has some charm. Uh, his books on spiritualism are oh, great God. for laughs. Embarrassing. Just embarrassing. But it's funny, because, but uh, you know what? I like it, though. I You know, you know I like this conversation and, and him writing this way because you do feel like Sherlock Holmes would lecture it. Like, that that seems very true to character. Like, if his friend is going to be like, I'm his biographer, I'm writing about him. You, like, the person that he sets up Sherlock Holmes to be, the character that he's written, would very much be like, you should just focus on the logic. And it's like, no one cares. Jesus Christ. You know, people want the fun adventure, but he would not appreciate that. I think if I wanted to devote my life writing stories about your adventures oh my god you would be grousing all the time about what i was focusing on and that i was twisting things what the what what, what the fuck what adventures you're always up to something oh i'm always scheming you're always scheming you always got some plot going on 
<laughs> and if I wrote about that, you say, no, no, Kevin, just picture me as a dedicated reporter I am. up at the crack of dawn yeah. with my little quill pen. <laughs> yeah, my quill pen, my typewriter. <laughs> Don't focus on this interesting stuff about my neighborhood vendettas. <laughs> my status as a crime lord. <laughs> A crime lady. Yes. <laughs> well, you claim you're a lady. My shady dealings in the war. <laughs> See, that's, that's I think that's what people want to read and find out about. Because yeah. people, in my view, have a completely mistaken idea about you. Yeah. But we can cover that yeah, I'm later. I'm just a nice lady. God forbid <laughs> you want to cure them of that notion. <laughs> but let's just move on. God. Can't, re can't wait to read your weird fan fiction about me, your wife. <laughs> so, and meanwhile, Holmes is having like a prima donna moment because he's mad because, you know, criminals have lost their way. They've gotten really boring. He doesn't have any good cases, yada, yada, the usual thing. And, you know, he's hit his nadir when he uh, has to talk to a woman who... So, let us, so what happens is a woman writes to him and says, I got a job offer. I don't know if I should take it. I'm going to come by tomorrow and ask you about it. And he's like, well, I got to see her because she wrote me a letter. Now, if someone wrote you a letter, someone you don't even know, and, and, and says, Anya, I can't figure out what to have for lunch tomorrow. I'm going to come by tomorrow morning and talk to you about it. I don't think you'd let him in the house. Yeah. I hope you wouldn't. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Yeah, no, de definitely. I've never done well, that. Why does he even agree to see this woman? People can't see a shrug. He's, he's, he's got, he's got respect for the ladies. I don't know. Yeah, you'd think he'd get a lot of crank letters since in universe Watson's writings have really kind of promote, you know, catapulted him to fame. But <laughs> maybe he doesn't want to. I mean, I try to answer a lot of my emails that I got. I can't answer everyone, but if it's like a real person and not just like a pitch, you know, like I try. So I get the impulse. So if everyone listening to this, both of them, if they send you emails, you'll answer them. Both people who listen. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll make some time. <laughs> no, I don't mean for the podcast. I mean for my job. <laughs> Jesus. Any mystery to me, listeners, if you reach out to our, our email that we list in the in the opening of the uh, episode and uh, or rather the end of the episode and our show notes, we'll respond to you. We love you. Thank you for supporting us. And I'm, I'm talking about my job. And that's, you know, maybe maybe Holmes, maybe Holmes is being dramatic, but maybe he's holding out. I mean, like, isn't that pretty common practice in business? Like, if, if it's a sensitive matter, you don't want to write it all out in a letter being like, hey, so there's this creepy shit that I'm involved in. And da, 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 da. You want to be like, can I meet with you to talk to you about something? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to put this in writing. <laughs> um, and yeah, so he's not, so he's not excited about this case, but then he uh, gets a little more excited because. She's got a, she's quite, Natasha Richardson has quite a story to tell. Uh, she says she got a job offer to be like a governess in this house. But in order to accept the job, the man uh, who's hiring her, who's who offers to pay her an extravagant salary, 
says you're going to have to cut your hair short. And so I guess my question to you is what is the craziest thing you've been asked to do to get a job? Oh, yeah, I think what you actually said during this scene was, is this how you got hired at Insider? And no, uh, I've never been asked to do anything weird for a job as far well, as I know. You know, let's be honest here. When you asked to be the co-host of this program, mm -hmm. I said you could only do it if you married me. <laughs> and if you sit in this one window of my house and turn your head over slightly to the to the window... For an hour while I tell you boring and unfunny stories about my job. <laughs> and I was like, sure, that sounds great. Because <laughs> you're a sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> I said, sign me up. <laughs> and imagine my horror when I found out later that you'd made the same exact proposal to like 15 other women. And you're the only one that bit. I, I'm the only I got duped into this. <laughs> weren't expecting anyone to take you up on it. Um, okay, this this is also this the watching this thing and and we'll we'll this will become more clear even as we continue to talk about it. But like this this story was so obviously written by a man because like every woman who watches this episode, who reads this short story, who watches any adaptation that has anything to do with this story, immediately cut your hair, alarm bells are going off. Okay, it's a weird sex thing. Cut your hair. Put on this dress. Oh, you look so nice. Sex thing. He's a sexual. He's a he's a sex pest. He's a creep. He's trying to make you look like probably his dead wife that he murdered. You know, like that's what that's where your thoughts go when you're a lady. I think, like it's a sex thing. Well, at least that's where your thoughts would go. That's where your thoughts went too, sir. <laughs> Mister Podcast Classified well Ad Guy. Well, some of us don't have our minds in the gutter. Oh, you're so cerebral. Oh, <laughs> the the little gentleman over here. <laughs> Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Please. It start. It's it's creepy. The guy's creepy when she's interviewing for the governess position that he that he is doing through her third party temp agency, essentially, a uh, Victorian equivalent of a third party temp agency. And you know he's like looking at her, he's examining her hair, and it's like, okay, this is so creepy. I mean, Jesus Christ. And then at this initial meeting that she has with Holmes, Holmes is basically like, yeah, you know, have fun at your new job. Bye. Tell tell us if anything goes wrong. And then she leaves and he turns to Watson very dramatically and is like, I wouldn't want my sister to take that job. <laughs> what an <laughs> asshole. 
he he's letting it play out because he wants to be entertained. Yes. <laughs> would you would you cut your hair for for your dream job? <laughs> it's ridiculous because. Yes, go on. It's just different for a man. How is it different for? How is it different for a man? <laughs> it's like that would never happen. What would be the equivalent for a man? I don't know. Have you ever had to do crazy things to get a job? <laughs> I've always been quite respectable. <laughs> well, so have I. And my current employer's hiring practices were completely standard and acceptable and fine. Any job I've had, the repl- the employers have been on the up and up, on the straight and narrow. Actually, I will tell you, this one job, in order to get it, they made me uh, swim, tread water with a uh, while holding a brick above my head for like a minute. And that was to get hired at Insider? <laughs> that was lifeguarding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that seems, that's weird, maybe out of context, but seems acceptable within the practice. Okay. And also, I had to swim 20 laps. See, now you're just bragging. I am, because I'm bragging because I want to tell this story. I was, I was like, I'm like this out of shape looking woman now. Back then, I was a slightly out of shape looking girl, and there were all these guys. Teen, you know, like I was a teenager, they were teenagers, and they all like were all buff and stuff, and they're all like, "Oh, you know, we're gonna, like, we're gonna swim twenty laps." I outlapped every single one of them by like five laps. Kicked but- their asses. I humiliated all of them because I could swim. <laughs> I might not look like much. We're all very proud of you. You should be. You should be. We are. Everybody's yeah, very. Everyone proud of- should be proud of me for this <laughs> decades-old swimming tale. Decades. Maybe one day. Centuries. <laughs> no, I could swim very well. That was the that was the most like that was the most like complicated job process because you have to you know you have to basically certify first and then get the job. So it takes a while to do it. But with other stuff, it's always just been like do an edit test, talk to us to make you know like indicate that you're interested in the job. Da da da. That's it. No haircuts. Did you have to wear like a hairnet? No. I ne- I've never worked in a food preparation role. So when you were swimming, your hair would just flow free and easy as you were carrying I'm not a bricks. mermaid, Kevin. No, I would wear a ponytail. Okay. I'm just trying to get the image. You don't wear a hairnet while swimming. You wear a hair, you wear a hair cap. You wear a cap. So or, did you wear a no, hair you, cap? You, no, you wear a swim cap. That's what they call them. So you wore a little swim cap? No, because I don't want to look like a nerd. You're not gonna wear a swim. You wear a swim cap. You wear a swim cap in competitive swimming, right? To 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 make yourself more uh, go faster in the water, essentially. And so I assume you not wore, in a lifeguarding situation. Did you wear like one of the 1920s style swimsuits that cover you from head to toe? Have like little uh, dresses and stuff. Yeah, and there were also a bunch of other ladies dressed kind of like me, diving in the water around me in some sort of choreographed uh, fashion. Interesting. Now, you, now, you, now you're interested. <laughs> now you're very interested. <laughs> Swimming fantasies. <laughs> My review. 
Now you're all red in the face. No, I'm not. It's Kane's cuties on parade. <laughs> yeah, that was. <laughs> That's my job. <laughs> was that the closest you came to having your own little dance troupe? A little swimming dance troupe. Was that, was that, was yeah, that? I, was, I almost made it. Yeah. Almost made it big. I made it much farther than, than you and your fellow singing uh, pizza delivery boys. <laughs> that flopped immediately. So you went on like the old Orpheum circuit? <laughs> yes, I know what that is. <laughs> on the vaudeville stage. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> So anyways, uh, so this governess takes this job, and uh, things devolve from there, just like in the original story. Uh, she gets a room, and there's like a dresser in the room. She opens up a drawer, and there's some other lady's hair in there that's been cut. And that happened to me. I just think, ooh, and throw it away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you'd probably be getting rid of DNA evidence in a fucking murder case. I would think... Oh, absolutely not. And I'd get the fuck out of there. No, knowing me, if I, if I already cut my hair, then I'd probably be like, sunk cost fallacy, and then I'd probably just stick around forever. Like, this is my life now. I cut my hair, so I have to make it worth it. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, nah. like, but like, it's not even, it's not like it's just hair balled up or something. It's like, it's like, like somebody cut off your hair and like tied it together with a ribbon. So I might assume that it was like somebody's lost, like like somebody's kid died or someone's daughter died and that her hair, like they, like that was a weird memento they kept. So I'd probably like inquire about it. I'd probably like go down and be like, so uh, there's some stuff in the drawers in my room and do you want it? Well, also, I, I, yeah, like after you die, I'm sure I'll keep some of your hair. Now, Kevin <laughs> Greenlee. No, if I die first, what, what would you keep? If... <laughs> What would you keep to remember me by? Like a tooth? Jesus Christ, your gold tooth. <laughs> I'll wear it on my around the chain around my neck. Jesus. I'll just keep warm memories of your smile. So no part of my body. I don't need that. No. <laughs> Nail clippings? Why the fuck would I, what am I going to try to clone you or something? I wouldn't put it past you. You're pretty crafty. See, that's one of the things people don't know about you. They don't know about me. They don't, we were talking about that earlier. If I want to write biographies of you. Oh, this is what you would write about how I took your nail clippings in order to clone you without your knowledge? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> nah, it's all going in the incinerator. <laughs> Yeah, I feel if I die first, I'm dead. Two minutes later, you're sticking me in the oven. Don't say it like that, because that sounds like a holocaust. <laughs> so if I die before you, mm -hmm. two minutes later, you're just tossing me in a fire. Yeah, basically. And then you're like clapping your hands together, wiping them off, and then uh, putting an ad in the paper for somebody who looks like me. <laughs> And I'll make them get their hair cut to look like you and make them sit where you used to sit. And tell them your stories. 
Yeah. Because they they have this girl sit in front of a window and listen to stories that the man tells. Which we're told, we're told, we're assured repeatedly that the stories he tells are funny. Is that like the most hard to believe thing in the whole story? Yeah, because like the one story we hear ends with like, and that was the most improbable cod in the world. And then she's like, oh, indubitably. And it's like, oh my God. This seems like something that would uh, defy the Geneva War Crimes Conventions. I mean, like, (laughs) he's he's like yelling and jumping around. She's like painfully laughing. Again, making it seem like a sex thing. You need to like dress a certain way. Look, make yourself look different and like placate this man's ego for an hour without having him explain to you what's going on. So it's- that's called marriage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's nothing more I can add to that. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's really good. Now, so at this point. Some bad shit happens. Because she's creeped out by that, but she's like, yeah, you know what? A buck's a buck. Anybody, you know, people need a way to get their jollies out, so I'll I'll deal with this, whatever. And then she one day she has a little mirror in her handkerchief to see what's going on behind her in, in through this window, and uh, she notices a bearded man. And then the bearded man, and then and then the wife of the guy who's telling the stories, uh, Mister uh, Mrs. Rue Castle. This is the Rue Castle couple who hired her for her for, the, for their creepy young son to be his governess. Um, realizes that she's look, you know, that she's seen something, and then makes a whole big show of being like, "Oh, why don't you, you know, you should." There's a man who's looking at you through the window. You should wave him away. Shoo shoo, you know. And you're always telling me to do that to the young men who gather on our street corner. And frankly, I don't want to be rude, so I refuse to do it. Yeah, you invite them to come in and talk about their personal problems so you can give them advice. <laughs> Let's just drop this line. Okay. So, so, but then things get weirder. Because it turns out this is like a fancy-ass mansion in, in Hampshire. And it's got a big-ass turret. And I... Always wanted to live in like a turret when I was a kid. So like I, I why? Would, well, I don't, it just looks cool. You're like in the little castle tower. But apparently it's not that fun. We're gonna learn more about that later. But she goes up in this turret, you know, sort of a Beauty and the Beast situation. You're not supposed to go into the West Wing, and then you know she does, and then then the guy, you know, the the you know, Mister Rue Castle kind of catches her. There's obviously someone up in the tower. She's really freaked out by that situation, and then he. Uh, escalates things by threatening to feed her to his dog if he ever catches her in the tower again. So hostile work environment situation already. So she calls Holmes and Watson. And this is my favorite this is my favorite bit and it's something that I think upholds very well. I think I think it's something that I think holds up very well in the Spectre in the sense of like true crime being such a big thing today. And Kevin, we watch a lot of true crime shows. And what's the cliche that I hate the most in these true crime shows that we watch? You, There's a number of cliches you hate, but what you want me to say is you hate it when there's a crime in a small town and people say, well, how could this happen in small town USA? Why, we're just like Mayberry. We think we're so safe here. 
this happens in the big city. It doesn't happen in rural areas. And it's like, this is the most white people fucking insane bullshit I've ever heard in my life. I hate when people say this and they put it out there in crime shows. And it's like this arrogance that just drives me fucking crazy of like, it can't happen in our town, you know? And, and, and I, I remember when I read this in high school, initially I was like, oh yeah, I was like fist pumping. Jersey Shore was a big thing back then. Uh, <laughs> and it's when Holmes talks about uh, how rural areas always fill him with a certain horror because you can't, like Watson's going and look, look out the window like, wow, what a beautiful town. What a beautiful village. We're in the countryside. Isn't this nice? Isn't this better than London? Isn't it more safe than London? And Holmes is like, we have no idea what horrifying shit is going on behind those closed doors and out in the countryside no one can hear you scream <laughs> it's like, <Watson's> just like <laughs> I love that I thought that was so good lots of bad shit happens in cities lots of bad shit happens in suburbs lots of bad shit happens in rural areas no one is exempt no one's special get over yourselves if you think your town is yeah, we uh, used to live in Brooklyn, and now we live on the south side of Indianapolis. And huh. Yes. And we've been more directly touched by crime here than we ever were in Brooklyn. You make it sound like we got attacked or something. Well, these guys <laughs> that you would let gather <laughs> on our driveway to give you advice, it hasn't worked out well for us. Now let's just move on. <laughs> they robbed the joint. <laughs> let's just move on. We literally had a like a fucking standoff in our neck of the woods recently. A police standoff. We mentioned it in a previous episode. It was a disaster. But, yeah. So when people are like, oh, you know, Indiana must be a lot less exciting than the big city of Brooklyn, New York. It's like, yeah, well, we were never in a fucking hostage crisis. Love when I love when Indiana, <laughs> I love when Hoosiers do the very passive aggressive thing of trying to get you to shit on Indiana in front of them when you're from a different place. Like it must be so boring here, isn't it? Don't you think? <laughs> what am I supposed to say? Yeah, you get that a lot. I get that a lot. People are basically like, I don't know whether it's like a masochistic impulse or like an embarrassment of like, oh, I'm sorry, we're from Indiana. I know it's pathetic, but or or if it's like, or or if it's like, you know, we're gonna set you up, and if you take the bait. You know, you're out of the Hoosier hospitality. You're you're thrown out on your ass. I don't know which one it is, but it is funny. I don't. I've never. I've never had that. I've never had like people in Virginia be like. I've. Li I lived in Virginia when I was in college. I'd never had people in Virginia being like, "Wow, it must be a lot different than New York." It's like, yeah, places are different. What do you want me to say? <laughs> There's colonial people running around. We don't have that in New York. <laughs> but um. <laughs> but we di we digress. Bring it back to Holmes, because also sometimes in Holmes Day, people would dress in old-fashioned outfits that were not terribly dissimilar from colonial outfits, such as you saw in Virginia. Sometimes to bring it back, scrambling desperately, we let it get away from us. We really did. We always do, though. That's the charm, right, folks? That's what we, that's what you're listening for, right? No, I'm sorry. Uh, so, uh, you know, this, uh, so yeah, this is this gig economy-esque nightmare 
third party, third party governess firm places this young woman in this creepy situation, pressures her to take the job, even though she's uncomfortable. I was saying in a modern day adaptation of Copper Beaches, it would turn out that Mr. Rue Castle was a was a lovable old gent who was just trying to workshop his stand up routine. But no, that's not the case here. Uh, in this case, uh, things get really crazy pretty quickly at this point. Violet, who's Natasha Richardson, she locks the kind of creepy housekeeper in the basement. The maintenance guy on so the So you started laughing when she pushed this woman down the stairs and locked the door. So is that what you, you like? You said I should guess why it is you really liked it. No, that's not what I like, but it's it's let's let's talk about the whole thing. Okay. And then maybe you'll get a broader theme that I like as opposed to one instance. It's not an instance that I like. It's a general sort of like tone and theme that is established here. Because things escalate. So this woman gets pushed down down the stairs and locked in the closet. Uh, the, the maintenance guy is drunken himself into a stupor. Uh, Holmes and Watson show up and start everyone. At this point, every man who shows up in the foyer starts throwing off his coat, throwing it on the ground and running around. So they show up and along with Natasha Richardson, go up to the tower. And meanwhile, this is intercut with the mysterious bearded man breaking into the house with, with, a, with a ladder and stuff and an ax. And he's breaking open the windows. So, Holmes, Watson, and Violet all get up there, and the place is gone. And the woman who's been held hostage up there, who looks similar to Natasha Richardson, is gone. But at that point, the Mr. Rue Castle shows back up. And uh, he says, I'm going to sick my big dog on you. And they're all like, uh-oh. And, uh, although I don't know why they don't just, like, lock themselves in the room. I don't know. But... There's this, there's this scramble. People are running around. People are running, and the the maintenance guy wakes up from his drunken stupor, being like, "I haven't fed that dog in days." Oh my god! So animal abuse, terrible. Is and, that why you liked it? No, that's not why I liked it. You jerk. But it's all very chaotic, and ultimately, uh, the mastiff attacks Mister Rue Castle, and. Uh, and basically, there was no reason for Holmes and Watson to be there at all because the the young woman who was being held prisoner has escaped, uh, and and uh, uh, Watson has to kill the mastiff because it's mauling the guy. So that's how it ends. And then the explanation. So they talk to the housekeeper who got locked in the basement, and she reveals that uh, basically the young woman who was locked in the tower was a daughter from a previous marriage of Mister Rue Castles. And uh, in the will of her late mother, she was going to get some money. But if she married, you know, if, if as long as she was in her father's power, he'd have that money. But if she got married, that would be her and her husband's to share. So he was always trying to make her not get married. But she fell in love with this bearded guy. And then uh, he was she was so stressed out from her dad pressuring her that she got sick. And uh, then he kind of like locked her up essentially. And was basically the governess scheme was to try to convince the young man that she didn't love him anymore and she didn't want to be with him. And uh, and he saw through that and broke. So there was basically no reason for Holmes and Watson to come here uh, because, you know, the young, the young man didn't team up with them to break her out. He just, he just showed up and did it of his own, and they got married and they live happily ever after. So it was like there was no deduction, there was no point. <laughs> they just kind of dick around in this one. 
And uh, so that's, uh, uh, and, and yeah, the young man had actually paid off the servants who had seemed sinister in order to, you know, hatch his big plan. So Holmes and Watson look ridiculous. Everyone ends up happy. And at the end, Watson reads his story and Holmes just kind of nods and is like, I defer to your excellent literary judgment. It's fine. And that's the, that's the, that's the show. So did you like it just because there's a lot of running around and yes. chaos? I like it because in the beginning, Holmes is all like, I'm an erudite gentleman who always thinks things through. And then the irony is this one is basically like kind of almost like a bit like of a Holmes version of like an action movie where it's like they're in danger. They're kind of just being butted about by the plot. They're not really moving things forward. They're just sort of reacting to things. And I find that amusing. You know me, I like action. So I like people running around and panicking and threats and, you know, all that, all that wild stuff. So that's why I liked it. So what, what's your five-star final take? Well, first of all, uh, so you said he did all of, do you think I, most of them at least? I, I, I'll, I'll look it up. According to Wikipedia of the... Uh, 56 home short stories and four novels. So the 56 home stories by Doyle, 42 were adapted in the series, spanning 36 one-hour episodes and five feature-length specials. Well, I'm excited to re uh, to watch more of them. So if any of you listeners are fans of the show and you have one that you'd like us to watch and talk about, uh, in particular, whether it's good, bad, in between, uh, or just one that you're curious about, just send a send a send an email, send a mysterious missive to our mystery to me email, and you'll answer it. I'll answer it. I'll take some. T I'm that good. Take I'm some just, time. I'm a saint. <laughs> Where's my canonization? That's what I'm asking because I will respond to two emails. The first two <laughs> emails you get, you'll respond to, and then never again. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, and so other than that, I guess all I can say about the Copper Beaches is that I think that this episode was really barking up the right tree. Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com. You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me that's mystery underscore two underscore me underscore and at mystery to me podcast on facebook and instagram and you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mystery to me podcast look around you can find cars like these on auto trader like that car riding your tail or if you're tailgating right now all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on auto trader too are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.